Hello and welcome to Credit Shift News and Update. I'm Paul Sweeney, co-founder and chief strategy officer here at Webio, and today I'm again joined by my co-founder at Webio and the CEO, Cormac O'Neill. We'll be exploring some of the recent news stories, events, reports, and trends in the credit industry. But before we get into all that, Cormac, how was your Christmas? Hey, Paul, happy new year. Uh, I had, a, do you know what? I had a fantastic Christmas. Um, you know, I, I really did. It was hectic, lots of socializing with family, friends, and neighbors. Um, you know, I always think Christmas is for kids, but you know what? Grown ups tend to have a good time during Christmas too. So uh, it was really good, relaxing, but. Um, Lots of activities at the same time, lots of socializing. So all good and really looking forward to the to 2024. I think it's going to be a really interesting year ahead um, in all things, but particularly in the industry that we, we play in. Um, you know, I think, I think this is going to be a, a, a really interesting year for us, you know. So how was your, how was your Christmas, Paul? It was very unusual. Um, I was uh in indoors a lot like i i almost think of it like it was a covid christmas in that i hadn't made explicit plans to go like meet people and have dinners and bring people over and stuff so i found that we were just like in the house an awful lot and it just reminded me of uh you know you can just need some downtime at times and just like need to put down the phone need to put down yeah. the computers and just read a book just delete everything and uh and just be, you know, just kind of relax and just be for a while. Yeah. And I think a little part of your brain just kind of relaxes and maybe allows you to think a little bit clearer because we're, we're always walking around a little bit tense. We have a, always have concerns in our minds about something. There's always a little nagging concern. I think any opportunity you get where you can just let that down um, allows you to kind of strengthen yourself for the new year. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? Just on, like, I did a bit, a lot of reading myself, actually, and I'll, I read it. Here's a here's a plug here now, but I'll say it anyway. I read the latest Ross O'Carroll Kelly uh, book. I don't know if anybody out there or listeners follows Ross O'Carroll Kelly, but I've pretty much read them all. One of the only Irish philosophers still yeah, publishing, exactly. I believe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that. But um, I think there was a couple, there was there was a couple of a couple of the books there that I thought kind of like ah, I don't know I think we're losing a little bit here, but I thought this his latest one was just right back on point. It was so funny. It was it was really really good. I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. So um, so yeah. The the thing about these the books like you're you're mentioning here, like in its day, Dickens was seen as a kind of a throwaway storytelling disposable kind of storyline. Um, book and it turned out to be the classic of its time and you can actually read a lot into the Ross O'Kelly books about the way Irish culture works yeah um, the way Dublin works the way school systems works the way networks of people work the way privilege works yeah it's um yeah. you know I wouldn't I, I wouldn't dismiss it entirely as a as a book that's capturing the zeitgeist of the times mm. yeah uh, so I've moved on from that, and I'm now reading um, Andre Agassi's uh, book, which I'm, I should have read years ago, but but didn't. Um, so I'm kind of halfway through that. Um, oh, everyone says that's a classic. Yeah, good, good read. Really. Everyone says that's a classic of the genre. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's a really, it's a really good read. 
Um, it really is. So I'm halfway through it. So let's see. Look, I know how the story ends, but hey, you know, <laughs> it's good here. It's good hearing <laughs> it from from the man himself. You know, so. I, I still like the comment from his father, which says if, if he had it all to do again, he would have trained his son to play golf because the career is longer. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is interesting. Like what comes across <laughs> from it, and I know we're completely off topic here, but tennis is a really lonely sport when you're playing it. And, and mm. Agassi describes it really, really well in terms of the loneliness, you know, the two sides of the net and never having any physical contact with your opponent whatsoever right you know not even Mm. you know i I was watching the darts over christmas which was you know unbelievable um really great entertainment you know that's that's an individual sport but there's lots of there's lots of you know contact between the two players going in and out to the uh today what's called the hockey and, and all of that where you know even in golf the two guys are walking beside each other and as they're doing around the golf and caddies and all of the above switch to tennis and it's you know how he describes the the, the loneliness of it is yeah i never thought of it um yeah it's really good now i have to say well i i do reflect on um i know at various education systems here in the UK put a lot of um, emphasis on team sports. And um, I, I think there's so much we learn from team sports that we unconsciously or consciously take into our workplaces um, about how we work together, the position you play, being there for the team. You know, I, I think I think sport does have a lot to teach us. And um, the older I get, the more I realize how much how much we do take from the the little crises, the little pressure moments that we have to deal with in a game, like whether you have to take the penalty or, you know, being the goal to save the penalty. There, there are all these little crisis moments that, that build and, um, and often crush people. So I, I think it's, uh, for, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I know that they're taking a lot more care these days than when we were young about how kids are coached and how to make sure that they're built up and built up and, you know, they take smaller hits. They're not kind of exposed to being completely, um, destroyed too early before they built up some resources. Anyway, let's get into it. Uh, let's let's look it. at uh, some of the general industry news. Uh, so in mid-December, uh, the Bank of England made the decision to maintain the bank rate at 5.25%. Uh, the Monetary Policy Committee has indicated that it expects this rate to stay constant until the third quarter of 2024. Following this period, there is an anticipation of a gradual decrease to 4.25% by the end of 2026. Concurrently, the consumer price index inflation is projected to return to around 2% target by the end of 2025. The recent data from the Office of the National Statistics, or sorry, for National Statistics, shows the UK economy experienced a contraction for the first time in two months in October. So the numbers are a bit behind here. The gross domestic product is estimated to have fallen 0.3% in October, following a growth of 0.2% in September. This downturn is particularly concerning as it indicates that the UK did not exhibit any signs of growth in the third quarter. I don't expect that to significantly change. A poll conducted by the Financial Times involving leading economists suggests that despite the anticipated fall in inflation, voters are likely to see a, are unlikely to see a significant improvement in their living standards before the upcoming general election. 
The poll highlights that while people on low incomes may benefit from a substantial increase in the minimum wage and pensioners might enjoy favourable savings rates, renters and those renewing their mortgages are likely to face increased costs. Another notable trend identified by these economists is the necessity for a rise in public investments to 3.5% of GDP. This level is the average for nations in the OECD group of wealthier countries. Such an increase in public investment is deemed essential for creating a robust public infrastructure that can support economic growth. I guess, Cormac, again, um, we pick up little figures every week and we try and keep track of them and just see, you know, are they telling us anything in general? Um, And I think here the news is, again, not much growth happening in the UK economy, uh, some need for some uh, big lifts uh, investment-wise. I don't know, are you seeing anything? No, just, um, there's a couple of things in here, right? So I think what's very interesting to, to watch, watch from the sidelines in the next two quarters is the difference between opinions, say, with, with central banks and, and economists around where interest rates are going versus what the markets are saying, right? So the markets are saying, guys, you're wrong. They're, we're gonna, you guys are going to have to cut your interest rates in the first half of the year, probably in, in, um, in Q2. <clears throat> and the, the central banks are saying, no, we're not. We're going, it's going to be in the second half of the year and maybe even Q4, right? So I think that's one to just keep an eye on and uh, watch and watch with some interest to see uh, who's going to be right on that. Um, I think I can be corrected on this. Historically, if you look back, tends to be the markets that, that, that win these little games here, right? So, um, you know, it does tend to be the markets that, that uh, kind of dictate and, and central banks tend to be kind of like, okay, right, we're going to cut them a little sooner. So that's certainly one to watch. Just this week, um, uh, I heard on the radio uh, that Aldi, Little supermarkets, they're cutting their prices again. And, and the price, and this is Irish now, but I think it's the same in the in the UK market. You know, the price of your, your weekly shop has dropped by 12% um, over the last month or so. There's been a number of, of um, uh, price reductions, right? So, you know, we're starting to see that... Um, that dampening effect happening from the result of, of rising interest rates. You know, I just again looking at real life examples. This time last year, right before the Christmas break, I bought a, a stack of logs for my fire, as I tend to always do around you know this time of year because they run out. Um, this year, I did the exact same, and they were forty percent cheaper. The same batch of of logs, forty percent cheaper this year than last year. Now, I know there was logistic problems, like most of these logs come from overseas and, and they're shipped in. So, um, But I was looking at the price and I was going, whoa, that's that's really, really, you know, really, really good versus last year. Now, maybe maybe I got fleeced last year. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe I just didn't shop around um, as I should have. But no, I, I think, again, that's just real life examples of what we're seeing in terms of prices coming down. So, um you know, look, at, I think that's a good thing, right? Consumers um, have been really, really, really hit. You know, a lot of money has been taken out of people's pockets in the last 12 months. Um, look, at, there's a strong argument that's the right thing to do in terms of dampening and inflation. Um, but it's it's certainly, it certainly worked. Um, and I think if I was to put money, who's going to be right? The markets or the central banks, I'm going to put my 
chip on on the markets and and see what happens. There could be some welcome relief coming for all you variable mortgage and tracker mortgage holders out there. Hopefully, let's fingers crossed that that we see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think it's um yeah it, it's it's often opaque. It's kind of like one of these big like it's it's one of the big levers. It it affects everyone. Um, I certainly noticed the difference in prices doing the shopping every week. It's, um, you know, that number just keeps on going up and I'm not buying anything that different. Yeah, no, just to, to add in also, like, you know, from that's from the consumer's point of view. But if you look at it from the enterprise point of view, whether you're an SME or, or, or large enterprise, you know, the cost of capital being so high prevents you from investing in projects that you otherwise might have borrowed to invest in because you're kind of concerned that you'll get the return on that if you're paying if the cost of that money is is so high so if we start to see a a uh a, a, a softening of interest rates reduction of interest rates you may see you know enterprises include ourselves in this right so you know money is expensive at the moment so you know you you can't be borrowing at high interest rates you need to get a really high return on on what you're going to invest in so you know that's another another area that we should keep an eye on you know yeah for sure um i think the uh other piece of news around was uh the projected uh was it? It was some three. It was a, lo- a big amount. Let's like say three thousand or thirty thousand companies um, projected to go into receivership this year because of the uh, the pressure on the uh, the finances and the fact that you know it's not exactly certain if the market is performing as a market should because there was so many COVID interventions, there was so many other market levers that were not in practice, so the market really hasn't kind of cleaned out what needed to be cleaned out and uh maybe this is uh, when that's going to happen but that won't be great in an election year for for whoever's in uh in power so yeah good point i'd expect something to happen there moving on to section two fintech buy now pay later ai and all that related good stuff um chase has announced a new partnership with the uk's leading debt advisory service step change The partnership builds on Chase's existing vulnerable customer support and aims to help customers in difficult financial situations by providing them with easy-to-access, free expert debt advice and recommended debt solutions. Chase will direct vulnerable customers to StepChange's online debt advice tool. StepChange's Gail Arkell said 92% of the people we support say that they wish they'd asked for help earlier. And so working closely with leading organizations like Chase is crucial to ensure we can identify and support customers who are experiencing financial difficulty as early as possible. I'd like to stop there for a second, Cormac. That's a pretty, I think that's a pretty good development in the industry uh, and a fairly um, shocking number. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Listen, you 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 nailed that in one. This is good. This is a good news story in terms of you know Chase um, working with our friends in in Step Change. You know, we look. We're in this business. We're in this industry. We know it's no surprise to us that that people are saying they wish they um, engage sooner with uh, their 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 uh, the companies they owe money to because the only way you can get to a resolution is to start talking and start engaging. Right? You know, that's the business we're in. We know that for a fact right so um it's great to see and step change do a really really great job of uh, of what they do and 
I'm delighted to see that they're they're engaged with Chase, and I'm sure it's just going to lead to to more and more engagement. Look, this is a win win across the board. It's a win for um, customers who are in financial difficulty. It's a win for the enterprises that are owed money um, because you'll get to resolutions quicker, and that's that's what everybody everybody needs. So expect to see more of this um, in the year ahead in terms of, uh, you know, financial institutions engaging with the likes of step change. Um, I agree. So that's good. I, I'm 100% I, I, with you. Yeah, I think that's one to watch for the year, definitely. Uh, moving on, again, I think we might have covered something similar to this last year. Nearly a quarter or 22% of buy now, pay later users have missed one or more repayments in the last six months to December 2023, leading to late payment fees in a quarter of cases, a mark against their credit score too, according to data from the nonprofit Center for Financial Capability. More than a quarter of those users saw their credit scores decline and were contacted by debt collectors, the survey found. The research found that 34% of consumers between the ages of 18 and 24 were charged late fees more than any other age group. Again, pause for this one. Um, like we're pointing out over and over again that this is going to happen. Here's more numbers coming through. Uh, so um, <clears throat> Christmas period, lots of shopping going on, right? Um, so I have used, I think on previous calls, uh, I said to you, Paul, that I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to try this buy now, pay later and see how I get on. And, you know, I said to you, this is just unbelievably easy to get credit. Unbelievable. Small amounts, right? We're not talking large amounts. Um, I used it again over Christmas because it's been almost at, and I don't want to start naming uh, companies now or, or stores, but the few stores I was in over over the Christmas period at the point of sale, this yeah. was offered to me. This was offered yeah. to me every single time. Do you want to pay yeah. in full or do you want to do a buy now, pay later? Right. Um, I took it up on one. I said, hey, you know, why not? I'm going to. Buy now, pay later. Zero percent interest. It's three months. It's not a big ticket, you know. Hey, yeah, let's do it. Because my other one has been fully paid. The first one I did. Such like it's just unbelievably easy how you can get credit, and that's why that that twenty two percent. And you are right. We've been seeing this. That's going to increase. I'd love to know, and I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. What uh, what has the growth in buy now, pay later usage been uh, over? December 2023 versus December 2022. Um, I'm not sure we still in lockdown around then. Anyway, um, but this year I, I really noticed that pretty much everywhere it's 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 available as an option. It's very it's very tempting. Um, you know, it's it's very tempting. So uh, I even noticed it at B and Q myself. Yeah, was it in B and Q? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I was buying some stuff, and there there was a buy now pay later. Yeah. So it's and the 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 um the the store agents are are promoting it right. They're they're saying at a point to check out. You know, do you want to pay now or buy now? Well, you'll expand the basket size. That's the main thing. Like once you figure out that you don't have to like leave more than fifty dollars or euro on the counter today, um, you yeah. can get that extra thing that you are going to buy. So it's it's really the basket size expansion that that happens. Yeah. Um, and I think you said something interesting there, or even like just as a, a way of organizing yourself, once you'd paid off mm -hmm. one, you felt free to do it again. And 100%. That's, and, and that's fine. That's one model, right? And 
and like I, I think I'm at the area now with subscriptions. Like I have Netflix, we have Prime TV with Prime from Amazon. Uh, we have Disney, right? And you kind of go, you know, the price is going to go up, right? They're going to go up by two euro fifty a month from Amazon. And I kind of went, I don't really need this kind of thing. I don't really, but I, I need the Amazon delivery service still. So I'm going to keep Prime. But I'm going to look at the others. Do I really need the Apple one? Do I really need the uh, Disney one or whatever? And and you've got a basket size, a number of of, of uh, offers that you're going to keep in your head and say, I'm only doing two. Like, that's it. I'm going to do Netflix and one other. And I think it's going to be the same with like your, your buy now, pay later. So you're going to have, oh, uh, you know, I've got three. I'm going to pay one off. But that gives me room for one more because I kind of keep three on the go. That's my number. I think there's something psychological about the way we put money into buckets and the way we manage those buckets that is very, um, it's going to be very impactful in the marketing yeah. um, as companies figure out where they are in that hierarchy. And you, you are correct. I mean, you, meant, you said, you know, you feel free to to buy it again. And that, that was exactly it. I was like, hey, look, you know, I've paid the other one off. I'll, you know, I might as well do this again. It's not, it's not costing me anything, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I gave it a whirl. You know, so that that money that you've got spare, like if you've got like a, a two hundred pounds in your deposit account left, and this is a hundred euro expense item, you'd kind of prefer to have the hundred euro in your account still in case something happens and you need to pay for the kids' football boots or whatever that unexpected expense is. It's that amount of cash you have left in your main account that you really want to preserve and that you're going to push out and take off the next buy now, pay later offer. Anyway, I, I think it's going to be an interesting, as you said, the year ahead. I think we've already can see we've buy now, pay later is everywhere. Um, it's just going to be what other industries it'll be in. It'll be interesting to see how the psychology of it evolves to how many, um, how many contracts we want to have or how many loans we want to have at one time. And then it's going to be how do we manage it? So how do we manage these um, various commitments? That's going to be a challenge. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, because it's how you manage it. Because it's 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 that creep effect. You know, it's subscription creep effect where one subscription alone or one buy now pay later doesn't look like it's a lot. You know, whether it's you know seven ninety nine a month for I know what Spotify isn't that now it's a tenner a month or whether it's you know uh, Netflix or that standalone they're not much but. It's the creep of adding another one. Like, yeah. for example, like I have a Spotify account, which is so do we. Spotify <laughs> account and kid, kids use it. But, you know, and I could be out in the garden doing something and they'll take it off me and I'll have to go in and shout at them and tell them, you know, I'm using it, get off it. So they were asking me to, uh, obviously over Christmas, we're all at home and we're all using different devices and all the rest. They were asking me, oh, can we get the family Spotify account? And I said, Absolutely can. We sure can. As soon as you go out and get a job, we will get it. I am not paying. I am not. I said, I'm not paying the extra $7.99 a month that it will cost. Um, But I said, hey, kids, once you guys start working, we will get the family account. No problem. So it's just that creep. It's easy to say it's only $7.99. It's not, you know. So anyway. This is a part of the subscription economy uh, that people were talking about two years ago is more and more of our bills are now subscriptions. So we're paying back a credit card loan, we're paying back a bank loan, we're paying back a credit union loan, we're paying back a buy now, pay later loan. We have Netflix, we have 
And these are all just subscriptions uh, that that are you know go, going out week on week, month on month, which, whichever your payment is. And I think it, as you were speaking, I was thinking, God, you know, really managing that is is all about automation. Um, and open banking would really help if if that was in in, in ship shape for doing recurring payments properly, because you could you could yeah. manage recurring payments, you could change the recurring payments, but automation is the key to staying on top of it. If you have to make human decisions every week, every month, you'll drop the ball. Something's going to happen. And the costs and the implications of dropping whatever ball you have are, um, are, are significant in some cases, like the cost of missing one mortgage payment, like the alarm bells that are ticked because you've missed a mortgage payment are much more significant than if you don't pay your Spotify. Um, yet the bank may have paid the Spotify and not paid your your mortgage payment. So automation's really key. And the other part of that is some people really need to be able to manage uh, manually which ones I want to pay now and later. I want to push that out. I want to bring that in. They, they want that manual control over it. So you've got to find a way to give people the way to be able to approve, maybe move things around, make decisions, but feel they're in control of their money. And that, that really came through from one of our credit shift interviews with Sean O'Toole early in the series. He's a former senior executive at American Express. He was there. Money's all about control. It's all about having control or feeling you're in control of, of the money. And how do you get that feeling of control? And people put it in different buckets. They put it in different cards. They put it in different places so that they have more control over their spend. And I, I, just, I just feel that there's... You know, uh, like the, the little bit of pressure will come off maybe with the interest rates. Inflation's definitely coming down. I think we're going to see a reduction in the pressure in 2024 that there was in 2023 and 22. I think that's definitely the case. Um, I, I think we're, we're still looking for some decent innovation to, to flow through from the open banking and to see that, that push through more. Uh, I think once that happens, it gives us some of the tools to manage this better. Um, anyway, moving on to a third story under this second section, I found uh, under AI, always like to keep an eye on what AI innovation is happening. And what about AI to run your audit function? Um, I saw a great blog post from Gilad G. Amir, digital operating partner at Pollen Street Capital, and he makes a great case for how LLMs will help auditors rather than replace them. Here's the bit that caught my attention. The audit process for small and medium enterprises or private businesses typically includes verifying key aspects of financial items in the balance sheet and profit and loss statement. These include the existence, accuracy, completeness, and proper classification of financial items. Auditors employ various methods like external balance confirmations, flux analysis, transaction sampling to ensure the financial statements accurately reflect the company's fiscal position according to generally accepted accounting principles. And I was just thinking about this, and I went, that's such an obvious case uh, for using um, an AI. And it, it, it did reflect some of the way that we've been looking at auditing conversations and being able to know what was said to whom, what was offered, why was it done that way, and being able to audit your conversations. And this was just taking that concept and going, well, why, why couldn't you just upload your 
like your general ledgers and your you know profit and loss accounts and then say well give it access to the scan documents give it access to transactions and then just allow it to audit the um um all all the transactions if it appeared on your on your your your, your uh uh uh, transactions. Where has the transaction occurred? Is there a document against it? Is there a signature on it? Could the uh, AI actually do that? And I think, yeah, absolutely, it'll do that. Um, I think in in the short, uh, medium term, um, uh, Gillard was saying LLMs will generate bespoke audit plans based on manual input from the audit manager about the audit risks and areas of focus. LLMs will then execute most, if not all, of the audit procedures with the human in the loop to verify certain aspects and continue training the models through manual reinforcement. And it's another great use case for how some form of LLM-driven co-pilot will eventually change the way we work. And I think it's, I think this is something we've picked up now in a couple of the credit shift updates. You see examples of other types of co-pilots coming out for specific functions, and they all seem to be there to help the assistant, to help the, whether it's customer service agent or help the auditor or help the tax assistant to, to do their job better and maybe change the nature of, of, of what they can do. I, I'm sure that rings some bells with you, Cormac, given what's going on with them, with Webio at the moment. Yeah. So, so th- this one's, for me, as you know, you know, I'm I'm a qualified accountant by profession, so that's that's my background. Um, so I've been through, I don't know, audits for the last twenty five years. So I'm very very familiar with this topic. Um, so audits, as we know, are are very manual processes. Um, typically, what happens at the start of an audit, you get to meet the senior partner, have a cup of coffee and a few biscuits, and a chat about what's going to happen and then the trainees um all come in and, and actually do the the um the junior trainees come in and actually do the audit um so before i go any further this is obviously going to happen right this yeah. is this is an area that's ripe for disruption um and ai and gen ai is perfectly positioned to to make that disruption happen right so <clears throat> let's take that as a given this is this is going to happen um the only kind of concern that I would have is that the audit process is a superb training tool for junior <laughs> trainee accountants, right? It's, you really get to know accountancy, you really get into the the absolute detail of what's going on in accountancy, right? You're getting into the transactional level, what's happening in debits and credits, and it's a superb way um, for trainee accountants to to learn their trade and to understand how financial statements work and how things tick and what's and things to look out for, right? Um, so, if we use AI to remove that, and now suddenly this is all automated, what are we losing in terms of the skill set for future accountants down the line? How do we ensure that? future trainee accountants are receiving the training and the base level, like just the foundation level, right? Um, <clears throat> and the real life experience. It's one thing doing your qualification and getting qualified and reading loads of books and doing exams and all of that happy stuff, which has to be done anyway. But this is like you're in the trenches. So let's take it as a given that this is going to happen eventually and this manual audit process will get automated and we'll use AI and they'll learn and this is all great. I'm just thinking of the human side of it and, you know, 
the 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 level of training uh, that they need and the real life experience that they get. So that's my that's my kind of takeaway on this one. It's like okay, we got to ensure that we're we're producing. Unfortunately, folks, I got bad news for you. Accountants aren't going to go away anytime soon. So we need to ensure that we have good accountants and good advisors. Um, so that's something I was kind of thinking about. Well, the thing that that rings for me on this is. Um, I was reminded of um, air, airline pilots. Uh, they don't train on smaller planes um, and crash those until they get to get good at it to get to a bigger plane, right? Uh, they go through hours of simulation environments. They are, you know, just better and better simulators. And then, of course, there's nothing like having your real life at risk because your brain acts differently. So you have to be sitting in an actual plane, uh, whether that's a, a, a simple by wing, and then you get to a bigger plane and a bigger plane. And so I think what's going to happen is just the pathway to competence is going to be different. Um, like technically learning, you know, what button to push, what, what dial to watch, what, you know, that's going to be simulation environments. The thing that everyone kind of, I think, <laughs> implicitly says all the time about, about gaps is it's the stuff that you don't know you know that you pass on to somebody. Like, you know, I don't know, something about that. It kind of, would you take a second look at that? Or would you check that fella out a little bit more? I don't know enough about his background. And you find out, oh, they're, they were involved in three fraud situations. And therefore, you know, this book should be, you, this set of books you should really, really analyze because the background of the person um, is a bit suspect. So when people say the tacit knowledge, um, the things that you that you pick up from working around senior people, they're not always kind of codifiable. It's 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 uh, that that things you pick up from working around other people. I, I think that that's there's that's in every industry. It'll just be interesting to see what exactly that is and and how important it is or not. Um, I've I've some I've I've, I've I, I think we're like we look at this from the. The, the customer services industry in the credit and collections world. And we see some companies that have very low turnover, relatively speaking, of agents. And we see some that have very high turnover of agents, relatively speaking. And they've got different development challenges for their people. And, you know, I think it's just the, the length of time that it takes you to get someone up to, up to being competent to be able to deal with live customers. I think that can be shortened. Obviously, there's going to be some different types of supervision that happens, but AI is going to be across it all um, and, under, and, and giving you hints and giving you whispers to say, you know, watch out for this or look out for this or maybe ask a question about the other. It's, it's going to be um, just embedded in the way we all do everything. Yeah. Uh, look, we, we know that. We're actively working on that and the, the concept of a co-pilot sitting beside agents in, in, in air context and in air environment. Um, is is going to happen and is happening you know there's there's no two ways about that yeah so yeah i i think just the thing that it makes this such a huge just general trend like this isn't specific to our industry this is every industry and every job like every job is getting a co-pilot just you got to figure out how to make that happen and um because that's just what's going to happen uh as i said never been more more sure of anything in my life uh, section three, let's move on to some interesting reports. We always like to keep our eye on reports that might be interesting to you in your own strategic planning and review process. Uh, 
In a recent study conducted by NatWest, it was found that over a quarter, or 27%, of British small and medium-sized enterprises are grappling with unpaid invoices, ranging between £5,000 and £20,000. The issue of late payments is widespread, affecting SMEs across the UK. On average, 36% of monthly payments to these businesses are delayed. London-based businesses are particularly affected, with 41% of their payments arriving late. SMEs are crucial to the UK economy, consisting of 61% of its employment. However, 55% of these businesses report an increase in late payment over the past six months, exasperating the challenges posed by the rising cost of doing business. One of the most significant impacts of late payments is the time spent chasing invoices. Nearly half, or 46%, of small businesses cite this as a major issue, with 31% spending 21 to 30 hours each month on this task. This time could be spent investing in enhanced customer service, developing new products, or other areas of the business. Now, cash flow disruptions are another major consequence of late payments, with 44% of SMEs identifying this as a pressing concern. Volatile cash flow can severely affect business planning and jeopardize the ability to pay supplier, staff, and retain clients. Now, what we would say here is digital solutions to these challenges provide businesses with a swift and straightforward way of collecting payments. Uh, These systems eliminate the need for businesses to request and store card details, payments being settled instantly, they aid cash flow. Uh, Additionally, the, the, the process is simplified. Uh, for and secure for customers, and often they don't need to enter their own uh, credit card details again. Currently, 55% of SMEs receive payments via bank transfer, while 33% are paid by card. So, again, Cormac, I think you know if you say here, you know, late payments are not all not always always intentional. 41% of customers admitted to simply forgetting to make a payment. 21% delayed a payment due to difficulties in finding account details and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think that you can take the reasons why people give their pay late with a, a grain of salt. Um, but nonetheless, if we take it at, at, at face value and some of the other research I've done around this, they're often small little details, small little you know, numbers that weren't correct, account details that weren't correct, and things get pushed back because they weren't done correctly. And it's a great excuse for companies to say, well, we can't pay this. It's the wrong, you know, it's the wrong details, put it through again. Um, and the other, the number in here what, of, of time spent, like that 30 hours uh, per month chasing this was like, that's, that's a full week. So, so I'm smiling away, Paul, as you're you're reading this and 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 talking about it. So, so look, you know, you and I have been involved in in startup businesses for you know longer than we we care to remember. So, first of all, I'm surprised that the NatWest found that there was only 27 percent of of companies that were. Um, grappling with unpaid invoices. I reckon the other 73% just didn't want NatWest to know they were grappling with um, problems in getting their invoices paid. Uh, Look, this is, there's no quick solutions to this, right? Business is hard. Business is difficult. Um, You know, that's why a lot of businesses fail. The vast majority of startup businesses actually fail. 
right? So, you know, this is something that's going to be around for uh, a, a long time to come and is just, it's almost part of business trying to trying to grapple with this. You know, we, we've, we've seen it ourselves. We, we, we suffer from this in terms of sometimes getting paid and, and down through the years, I've been on the other end of the scale where I have had those same reasons. Um, you know, uh, I forgot to pay. I couldn't find your bank details. I didn't get your invoice. Um, you know, the, the dog got sick. I had to go to the vet and, you know, fortunately I couldn't do it that Friday and I can only pay once a month. So it'll have to be the day. The, the end of next month on the Friday. So look, I'm, I don't mean to be uh, dismissive of this, but it's just something that is, is, is a real challenge for, for all businesses. Um, you know, and, and, and it's a real challenge. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And it's, it's, it's a cycle, right? So if I'm company A and I can't get paid by company B, well then, and I owe company C money, I'm not going to be able to pay them money. So, you know, that's just the way it goes. Um, uh, so, what can we do about it? Yeah, you know, you've mentioned some things there in terms of streamlining and all the rest. And, you know, I'm sure we'll be continuously looking at that. And, and automation plays uh, a big part in this, right? So, you know, if if you have got a good accounts receivable system in place that's automated, that can kind of take away that, you know, 41% of customers that say they've simply forgot or 21% would because they couldn't find the correct details, right? So if you can automate your process and have regular contact um, with people who owe you money, you're you're going to take away some of those reasons pretty quickly, right? Um, so there is no doubt automation will play, will and does play um, a real part in this. Like you even see now accountancy systems that talk to each other. So like if I'm on zero and my my customer's on zero and you can share invoices and do all of that good stuff um, across the same packages or it could be Sage or Intuit or whatever's out there, you know. Um, but yeah, look, at it's a, it's a, we could be sitting here in 10 years time and we could have the same We'll have the same paragraph on the same topic, you know. It's it's um, and I know governments try to promote it and try to you know do things to help companies and all the rest. Hey, you know what? Government bodies could pay their customers on time as well. That would really really help, you know. We 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 do see that. Yeah, we do see that if government bodies paid on time um, and local authorities paid on time, that would really help people out in in their financial planning. Um, and I think the yeah, government uh, in the UK is trying to get their their arms around that as an issue. Um, I, I think Cormac, the 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 thing that 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 came to mind with this was was chasing down the details. Um, like, why is a direct debit not working? You know, what type of error rates are you getting across the board? And it's detail, detail, detail. And we see this all the time working with our own customers. Is they chase down the detail. And they fix that bit and then they fix the next bit and then they fix the next bit. And by doing that, like in a, in a steady rhythm, they're, they're eventually getting 1%. Then they're at 5%. And then they're at 15%. And pretty soon they're, you know, they've, they've made a significant impact. And I know that kind of, I shouldn't be surprised, but sometimes when, when you're working in AI, you, you kind of get carried away with the big picture and, and, you miss the fact that even just capturing someone's date of birth, the next payment date, their address, their the, just those basic details and getting those confirmed and matched and approved, just getting that to the next step. Or if someone's going through a payment gateway and understanding 
the 200 reasons why that thing might not have worked. Like just, it's a process. You stay on top of it, you drive it, you drive it, you drive it, and you take it down. Process, Paul. Yeah. Process, you, you just hit the nail on the head there. It's just process. Like I'll give you an example. We have a supplier um, and they will very kindly, a week before an invoice is due, will send us an email saying, hey, just a friendly reminder, just to let you know, you know, the invoice is due next week, right? So that's grand. Brilliant. Yeah. Do you have everything you need? Um, so if the invoice isn't paid next week, you'll get a, an email saying, hey, you know, you know, um, that invoice wasn't paid next week. Just checking to make sure that you, or it wasn't paid last week. Just checking to make sure you have everything you need. And that's automated process. It's not, you know, that's just been put in place uh, a process and it works. Right. It, it, it certainly works. So that is the key. I think putting processes in place and automate as much as you possibly can. Um, and tone of voice, <clears throat> excuse me, tone of voice is very important too. Um, people are more likely to react to a friendlier tone of voice than a sterner tone of voice, right? In the beginning, those early stages, like um, if somebody has a, a communicate to you that's friendly and says, hey, just checking you that you have everything and we're here. If you don't, you know, we can get it for you. Um or an email if you haven't paid, it's like, hey, look, I'm sure something must have been up. Is there anything we can do to help? You know, let us know. Is much better than a sterner tone of voice. Now, obviously, if things get to a later stage, you've got to use a, di- a different tone of voice, you know? So uh, I think um, because we're a specialist in this area, Cormac, um, the. I can tell you that the, uh, the tone message implications across the whole cycle. Um, are different from zero to 30, 30 to 60, 90 day plus. Um, and, and that whole journey needs like careful attention at each different stage. And it's not the one tone. It's not the one process. It's not the one question. And, uh, yeah, what we found is, um, not only is it not a generic solution, but it's a very specific solution in credit collections. So listen, thanks again for joining us, uh, for the, uh, this, our first, first of the year. Yeah. Pleasure, Paul. Pleasure. We have some really interesting interviews coming up uh, this uh, quarter for the Credit Shift interview. Keep your eyes on the channel for those. Some really uh, interesting people and a great mix of people. We're looking to bring in now some people whose daily job is managing credit, running credit for, for fairly some big companies and sharing some of the challenges that they see. We'll be bringing in hopefully some analysts and people who are uh, get a broader view of the market. Um, and so keep your eye on that. They're always interesting interviews and uh, looking forward to uh, learning what I can from those conversations as well. So until next time, thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget to check out the webio.com website to see what's up with Webio. Some interesting news stories will be coming up there in the next few weeks. So keep your eyes out for those. 